Champagne Sharks, this is Trevor. How's everyone doing? And we're going to jump right into our guests. You've seen them on Twitter, tweeting under the name Kidneygate in reference to the saga that has a lot of Twitter, especially media Twitter and media adjacent Twitter, and probably kidney donation Twitter and all types of places buzzing. And without further ado, if you want to just let the people know who you are and where to find you. Yeah, hi, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, I'm an anonymous journalist uh, tweeting under KidneyGate. If you guys uh, are interested, just find you can find my Twitter account at KidneyGate. Literally spelled like that. So, Yeah, and you know, it's funny. The This story moves pretty quickly, but something that's already done. Like People just keep finding more and more stuff. And I feel like trying to summarize it in too much detail at the top will just end up eating like 20 minutes of the show. So I'm trying to figure out even how to properly do this. But I guess the easiest thing is to just start with a description of the New York Times piece that started it. So I figure we'll kill two birds with one stone, if you don't mind. Uh, If you could talk about how you found the story and give people a quick rundown of the you know, New York Times piece. And I'll be interjecting um, here and there if I have any thoughts I want to I want to contribute. I, I don't want to put the whole onus on you to just summarize this 10,000 word article at once. No problem. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I found it, uh, I think, probably the same way that a lot of media Twitter found it, which is, as would be expected on Twitter, I saw people tweeting about a kidney story. And soon enough, there came up a link to that New York Times Magazine article. It's by Bob Coker. It's, yeah, I would say about 10,000 words. It's a very long article. And it's ostensibly about the a fight between two friends, two women who were supposedly friends, although that's up in contention. And about, uh, and their friend, their fight is around their writing and who can claim ownership to the writing. What happened is that one of them, a woman named Dawn Dorland, uh, donated a kidney. Uh, She did an altruistic kidney donation, so she basically donated it to a stranger. And she had his friend who was part of her, or she had somebody who she thought of as a friend, a woman named Sonia Larson, who worked for Grub Street. It's a kind of writing community, a workshop center in Boston. Which, by the way, both women at various points work for. It just so happens that Sonia Larson is a senior, a senior employee there, and Don Dorland was a fairly junior, lowly employee. And Dorland is the one who donated her kidney. Uh, it, and at you know, just skipping a lot of stuff, but at one point she felt that Sonia Larson, her ostensibly her work superior, had stolen her kidney donation story and had plagiarized a letter 
that she, Don Lordman, had posted in a private face group, Facebook group uh, tracking her kidney donations. So, and then they, this, this, this uh, dispute entered the courts and it's potentially about to go to trial uh, for one side. Sonia Larson's side says that Don Dorland defamed her for calling her plagiarist, uh, whereas Don Dorland is suing for copyright infringement because, as she claims, and I think with uh, reasonably claims, that Sonia Larson plagiarized the letter that she posted on a private Facebook group. Uh, one thing about this story that um, was interesting to me, the way I found it was like everything else logged into Twitter and people were talking about it. But I do this thing now. I don't bite at every main character of the day or story of the day. I just find mm-hmm. it tiresome to always react to things, especially because like in a day, it doesn't matter. Everyone talks about Tiger King for like a couple of days and now no one talks about it. And the other day, there was this woman who I guess she tore up her kids Harry Potter cards and everyone was dunking on her for a day or something. And I'm like, I don't care. So when this thing happened, I'm like, okay, this is another character of the day thing that everyone's going to talk about mm-hmm. all day and get there dunking. And so I just kept ignoring it. And then people just kept sending it to me for days. And then I was like, okay, this thing is obviously not going away. I'm going to take a look at it. You know, this is something that's going to have some legs. So let me just see what everyone's talking about. And my friend Devorah, uh, shout out to Devorah, uh, sent me your account. And I was like, I skimmed there. I'm like, I don't have time to really look at this now. I'll, I'll take a look at it later. Mm-hmm. She just kept talking to me about it and talking to me about it. And it wasn't like I was blowing her off. I planned to look at it, but I just didn't get around to it. Finally, I looked and I just uh, fell down a rabbit hole. And one of the interesting things about the story, I started with the article. And this is my take on the article. Because I'm going to tell you what you think. Because first off, I think we both agree the article has a lot of faults, right? Yeah, it does. It's a beautifully written article. It's a very seductive piece of art in itself, you know, and but in, it seduces you into uh, accepting a false narrative of what this story is about. I agree. I agree. And, you know, even the supposed good parts of the article, I wasn't that crazy about. And I'll tell you why. It felt like an NPR podcast. And there's like a certain type of format to NPR podcast where it's like, there's got to be a twist. And they kind of start with something like, Joan always opened the door every day at six in the morning to go running and never thought twice. But then this this happened. And then they had to like pull back and suddenly you get the full picture. It felt like serial. Like, you know, where okay, yeah. give you a story. And I feel like that's a hot way to write now and a hot way to um, do podcasts now where it's like you kind of start with the story and you think you know what's going on. But then there's a twist. It's almost like prestige TV. And I think mm, it was yeah. too precious. For its own good, like I could almost hear the annoying NPR music in the back while I while I read it. So I I didn't even like it as a pro story, honestly. Not because it was badly written, but because I'm just tired of that style of writing. I I would just mm-hmm. rather have a chronological. Just tell me the facts. Don't tell me an exciting page turner of a story. It, it felt like somebody trying to sell a book, kind of. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was very twisty and turny, very long. But it ends up being that long, I think, because of how awkwardly, well, not awkwardly, but how it's trying to frame it almost like a fictional story in a way, you know, with framing a protagonist, framing uh, a narrative, trying to be. Actually, I'll let you give me your impressions on what you think or how you think the story does a disservice to the narrative. Like, like what are the contexts that get lost or uh, misconstrued? 
I totally agree with you about the describing it as precious. It was too precious for its own good, you know. It's and it would. It's like you said. I mean, it, fe- it felt like a, a fictional story, and I, I did see at first a lot of people re- responding to it as a fiction story, and then only realizing later that oh my god, no, this is actually a real story. And and that's. I think that was my first real irritation with the article because you know this kind of weird smoke and mirrors that it does. Oh, it's brilliant for a fiction story, but here we're dealing with two real people and to use and to kind of i guess twist the reality of what happened in service of this kind of ooh, of tw- these twists and turns really does a disservice to the, the real people that are at its center uh and you know i think definitely one of the one of the main critiques that i share but i've seen a lot of people i know kind of elaborate on it, on it better than i could is the fact that Really, this is a story about that is quite straightforward. It's a, it's a story of one person who has been done, frankly, an injustice. You know, she is a woman who donated a kidney and then had her writing plagiarized and then she was gaslit for years and then she was sued for defamation for calling her plagiarist a plagiarist. That's, I, that is just absolutely insane to me that anybody would, would sue somebody for defamation for saying the truth you know and but in the story itself i think uh the author robert Coker and his editor wanted to do wanted to do a kind of uh am i the asshole type story where it wanted to get people to debate who was the bad person in this situation and so they kind of had to punch up the the character who had been done an injustice they had they had to make her seem uh, less less reasonable than she actually was so I that's also, how you end up I'm, I'm sorry go ahead no 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 what were we gonna say i was gonna say i also have a theory based on it's not even really a theory as much as an observation but based on how writers have been treating this and no offense to your profession but They've been acting like kind of like a mafia. Like, you know, you do not speak. Against oh, yeah. You do not speak against the family and whatever. And so I feel like just based on how every writer has been, like 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 I saw uh, Jenna Wortham from New York Times kind of do something snarky about her. And then the replies were just full of all these different writers and whatever, just like, you know, spill the dirt. Like like she was just like Sammy the Bull Gravano. I don't know if it's a... Uh, reference, you know, but it's like she she, I mean, she was basically like the person that did the you know snitching that took down the mob. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. like she went really seemed like against the family and and a lot of writers really showed their ass about how they're pretty much like these nasty chunky monkeys themselves in how they we had people like Roxanne Gay and other people. Uh, this Brandon guy, I don't know um, what his name is. I mean, but. Brendan Taylor. I oh, think. Yeah, I really didn't like his tweets because he was pretty annoying. Even before that, he was tweeting stuff about how there's no such thing as good art or bad art. And I'm like, okay, I, I already know I don't want to read your stuff if you're gonna say that. <laughs> like, um, based on all that and people I think should know better. And you've posted some of these, like Gawker had a there's been all this apologia. Like Gawker had this story about why good artists steal, and everyone's been saying this good Gawker. artist steal thing, and it's like just shut up. Why are you all repeating that? Like I don't care how many times yeah. people say it, but there's plagiarism and copyright laws for a reason, you know? And, and exactly. Uh, yeah. And then Gawker had another one recently where some woman was 
kind of saying in a veiled way that she knew Don Dorlin and trust me, she's annoying. But like everyone else, she could not explain why she hates her so much. <laughs> you know, it, it almost came. Yeah. Get, did you see this one? The recent Gawker one where some girl kind of said that. Then she talked about it for two paragraphs and did a long aside about herself and some weird soul searching, then came back and was like, well, yeah, that's why Don Dorlin is bad. Do you want to hint? No, I didn't. Oh God, I didn't. I did not see this. Uh, it would have probably just made me more incensed. So oh, it was. I think, so my, I think my uh, heart rate is glad I didn't even see that. Yeah, it was. It was really, really bad. I will uh, try to try to send it to you at some point. But yeah, yeah it, was, it yeah. was. It was just weird, and they were talking about her. But in this article, actually, I should pull it up for you because I think it kind of gives away a lot. She. Um, they kind of make it seem, I don't know, but the way people talk and you read between the lines, and I feel like this person's uh, thing was kind of like that. Something about her, like, threatened people. It was just weird. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm not going to... You mean, don't, like, something about Don Dorland threatened people? Yeah, I don't know if she, you know, I don't know if they think she's attractive or something, and or they... I think... Yeah, please give me... Honestly... No, I think, I think, you know, I, obviously I don't know Don Dorland. I don't know Sonia Larson. I don't know Roxanne Gay or Brendan Taylor or any of these people. It just seemed to me that reading through, reading through a lot of the discovery materials and the text messages between the chunky monkeys uh, talking shit about uh, Don Dorland, it, it's like her altruism and the fact that she was, you know, she, she's kind of the real, a, a lot of people these days are talking about being good people and doing good works, you know, and, and always doing the right thing. And here comes this woman who actually puts her money where her mouth is or her kidney where her mouth is, you know, she actually did something incredibly selfless, which was to donate a part of her body to another person. And in the process, she saved, I think, three different people's lives. Like that's, I think that got under people's skins, you know, to realize that here was somebody who was actually doing something that none of them were going to do. And honestly, I mean, I, I don't think I could do it, you know? Yeah. But, but, but you know, I'll throw something else out there on top of that. I think everything you said is right, but I think that actually only ratcheted up everything. But from what I could see, all these people have been kind of already hating her, you know, like, like, this wasn't the start of them hating her. It was just, I think, what escalated it to a new level. But in some of the discovery, it seemed like this was a pre-existing dislike. Like people were talking about how they didn't like her from the first time. They, uh, yeah, and I have no idea well, what what that's coming from. Yeah. Well, the thing, the, the way I saw it was that you know Sonia Larson, at least from from the, I mean, like I said, I don't know these people. I'm just basing basing things on the materials that are available, uh, and it it struck me as her having introduced all her friends to this version of Don Dorland through through the first uh, version of this short story, The Kindest, that she wrote. And it's from this point onwards that everybody in her chunky monkey group start paying attention to Don Dorland's Facebook posts, you know? And then because they're already informed, uh, they, they already have this understanding of the Don Dorland character as this extremely annoying white savior character, they're they start reading the Facebook posts through this filter. But the, the initial person that introduced them to this version of Dorland, it is my impression that it was Sonia Larson through her short story. But I also think, and the, the weird thing for me is that I hate, I hate a lot of the talk about how, you know, this kind of weird Manichaean 
conversation around Facebook and around social media that like, oh, Facebook is the evil that has taken us all down. Without Facebook, we would all just suddenly be acting normally or something. But I do think there is, Facebook did play a role here because, so Sonia Larson and Don Derlin were two people that lived in Boston around the same time up until 2011. And it was all, and then they, you know, they had these interactions. Dorland says that they were friends and, you know, they had a lot of friendly communion. Uh, Larson says that they were not. But regardless, they were interacting on a, like a, a personal basis fairly regularly because they lived in the same area and they worked in this and had a community in the same space, which was Grub Street. But then once Dorland moves away, it seems like they're, Sonia Larson has only seen the version of Don Dorlin that gets put on Facebook. And I don't know if I, I definitely have that with certain friends of mine where, you know, I love them to pieces, uh, you know, in person. And I find their, their Facebook personas extremely annoying. And I have, you know, I have to mute them or I, I barely even use Facebook these days because just my, my real life friends who I want to spend all my time with just annoy the living shit out of me online and and so and i think that's kind of what happened here you know like these women stopped living in the same uh, in the same environment and suddenly they were just seeing each other through this facebook filter Uh, someone once told me that twitter's where you go to uh learn to hate people you don't know and facebook's where you go to learn to hate people that you uh already know and this seems to be Uh, coming true here but something that's also kind of interesting to me with all this is um the rest of them might have started hating her through the medium of sonia so i should correct um because for me in the discovery it's and different things it seemed like i should limit it to sonia sonia seems to have already disliked her even before the um kidney thing and maybe Mm -hmm. the kidney thing ratcheted up with her and then as a mediating you know lens to kind of distort dawn or whatever they she um you know told all these people these horrible things about her and then some of the other ones like talked talked stories about meeting her like it's hard to remember all the names there's so many players in this but like one of the chunky mm-hmm. monkeys uh, i hate saying that out loud one of the chunky monkeys <laughs> was uh in la or california where, where she was and ran into her at some kind of parenting oh, yeah. class and everything and even then like, i think there was a guy named chip creek yeah, if I'm no, not mistaken. That was, yeah, that was it. And he was saying how, you know, he met her, but he didn't like. He, he, she was so obnoxious. But again, no one can ever specify what's obnoxious about her. But then I kind of realized if you've already been groomed to hate somebody, you'll start seeing things even yeah. when they're not there. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that she's not annoying. Maybe she was, but I just felt it was so weird that nobody, like for example, when I read these emails. Or hear people tell mm-hmm. stories about Celeste Ang or, or any of these other players. I read that I read that Christopher guy's horribly classist email about the yeah. post office and everything. Yeah. You can totally see instantly why people would hate these people. Like if somebody said, Hey, um, I know Sonia Larson, I hated her, I'd be like, Hey, say no more, dude. I I've mm-hmm. read her, I've read her words and I can see it. But uh I mean the one thing I could say about Don Dorland is she kind of has that super earnestness that sometimes can be a bit much, yeah. you know but i mean none of that seems worse or even anywhere near as bad as these people's personalities and i was very taken aback at all the wow everyone sucks narrative to this thing because i'm like no everyone doesn't suck these people are 
really, really toxic yeah. beyond whatever Dawn is. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, when I first read the article, I, I guess I, I could feel this myself buying the everyone sucks here narrative, but also just feeling uneasy with it, you know? Because what it amounted to was, even in the article itself, Dawn Dorland comes across as slightly irritating. This is the version of her in the article, but she she still hasn't done anything unethical. So I was, I was you know, I, I felt like it wasn't sitting right with me to think, oh, everyone sucks here. It's like, wait, why do I think this woman sucks? I don't, you know, is it because, is it because her, I mean, I'm a curmudgeon, you know, so I guess anybody with a sunny disposition just naturally irritates me. Is that why? But also how, isn't that unfair of me to kind of, see it see it that way you know and th that's before you even i even looked at all the material that was available on the internet showing that none of the things that in the article made us come across as obnoxious or attention seeking actually panned out you know i, I mean we the one thing that the article doesn't do that's very it's, it's kind of a disservice to people to readers which is that it doesn't it doesn't actually talk about what 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 it was about the her, her Facebook posts that made them not obnoxious. You know, these were, she supposed that she was an advocate for altruistic kidney donations. A, and before that, even like this was a private Facebook group uh, that presumably she was sharing among friends. You know, she, she had created this group so that this stuff wouldn't show up on everybody's feed, you know, so it wouldn't just irritate or freak out a lot of people. And, and, you know, she was sharing private medical information. So there was a, there was a sense that the people that were there, that she was, she was extending trust to them. And even the, her first post, which I, you know, I found on in the materials from the, from the court filings, she says, you know, like if, if you, you know, I'm adding, I'm adding you to this group because I consider you a friend and I, you know, I consider you a trustworthy person and I want to share with you my journey or whatever, however it was that she she phrased it and she said like if people are uncomfortable with this like please i won't take it personally if you leave this group what she was, was doing was essentially thing? that was a huge thing to leave out of the article that uh they made yeah. she's just pushing this thing on people but she told people up front uh you know this is a personal journey and also something that i didn't quite grasp last when i first read the article i don't know if it's because i just missed it because i was reading too fast but she was doing this leading up to the surgery and i kind of get it like if i was getting a major surgery like that and getting a mm -hmm. piece of me removed. I mean, I know people who've died from seemingly innocuous surgeries that, you know, no one thought something bad was going to happen. Then they end up dying. Like, and mm -hmm. I've had operations that have turned out okay, but I know that feeling of, I know this is a routine operation, but what if something happens? One of those freak, you know, heart attacks or whatever. Like, I think yeah. she was probably wanted, you know, some support or people to talk to going into the, surgery like like when i realized it was leading up to the surgery partly after like i, I can kind of see why somebody would want to talk to their closest friends it wasn't like they were blasting it on the wall saying hey look what i did i'm so great so it was, yeah, yeah absolutely i mean it was i also feel like because i guess facebook private facebook groups aren't that common you know people people just don't i don't know for, for me it just read as somebody posting a private blog you know people blog about their medical like i don't know medical challenges that they're going through all the time especially in, you know this woman is a writer so it, it stands to reason that she would want to 
process her emotions through writing and through having a small audience of trusted people. So, and so I, I don't know, I just, I didn't see anything particularly obnoxious about her setting up what turned out to be a blog, but it just so happened to be private and on Facebook, you know, and, and also just telling people that she wouldn't take it personally if they didn't participate in it. And that's another thing that the article leaves out is yes. that, and obviously, like, I can't fact check this myself, but uh, Don Dorlin did write in to Gawker, and she said that what had happened, it wasn't that she had reached out later to Sonia Larson asking, like, oh, well, you didn't like any of my posts. What's up with that? Which, that's how it came across in the New York Times article, and it made her sound incredibly narcissistic and, and you know, unbalanced. But what... According to Don Dorland, what had actually happened was that she could, as the administrator of the Facebook group, she could see uh, the engagement, the, the metrics of every post. And she could see that Sonia Larson was consuming every single post of hers, but wasn't interacting, but wasn't acknowledging any of them. So, so actually, I, the crazy stalker was Sonia. Exactly. You know, exactly. There's so much projection going on in this, in this story. She, you know, Sonia Larson in, in the article talks about like feeling like she was being stalked by this woman, when in reality, she was stalking this, this woman. And she talks about, uh, Dorlin being obsessive when in reality, she, she took a letter that Don Dorlin posted in this private Facebook group, barely changed it, submitted it to writing publications, workshopped it for years. You know, this is the, the person who's obsessive here is not, Don Dorland, it appears to me. So there's just a lot of projection. And and something else about those metrics, what ended up happening, what comes out in Discovery, is that what she was doing, what she was obsessively consuming every post, was that she was reporting back to the other um, chunky monkeys and reporting back everything that was happening so that they could all laugh at it and, you know, taunt her behind, behind, right. her, back, behind her back. So I think... That adds another layer of projection, as in the fake nice person is is you. That's another projection. Like like you're the one who acts really nice, but is is secretly nasty and selfish and and toxic. Like that is that is you. And I will add one last thing. Even from the New York Times thing, I already hated her more than Don by far. And I didn't see any of this equivalency or anything, but just based on one thing, and it's even in the title. Anybody who uses the term, because she's the one who used the term bad art friend, right? Oh, so, so Dorland is the one who actually said that, but in describing the way that Sonia had come after her accusatorily. It, okay, so in that case, that's the only strike I have against Don is using bad art friend. That is uh, a legitimate complaint. <laughs> but other than that, in, but in, in fairness to her, I don't think she used, she used it uh, unironically or earnestly as something that she she would use on a day-to-day basis it was more that her description of like oh it's like sonia was coming after me and calling me something like a bad art friend so it was kind of her sonia was calling her the equivalent of a bad art friend she would yeah no 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 no. okay i I take it back because because yeah i did remember it being a reference to how sonia felt about um don but what i thought it was was that sonia explicitly called her that but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's an unfair assessment for how Sonia was acting because Sonia was mixing these things about artistic principle into 
mm-hmm. friendship conversation about this is part of art. This is so actually, I think that actually is a fair assessment of what Sonia, a fair paraphrasing of what Sonia was trying to communicate. You know, like that oh, I agree of an art friend. Okay, so I, I, t- I take it back. I don't... Uh, no, no, no. I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. It was just like, those were the specific words that Don Dorland used, but she, I do think she was accurately paraphrasing something that... So the, the argument that kind of Sonia Larson had flung back at her, you know, because here, yeah, exactly. like I said, here was Don Dorland saying, I, you know, this, I, I feel a little weird about this as a friend. And meanwhile, Sonia Larson saying, well, I think you're a bad friend for not, for trying to control the way I write, you know? Someone needs to control and, and, the way and, she and, writes because she is a bad writer. She's a really that, was, that was the craziest thing for me after, you know, I, I remember the day one of kind of being obsessed with the story and just, Try to, you know, usually when something like this happens, when a story becomes a conversation, I won't boast about it because I'm in, in kind of consuming the conversation. It actually took me a really long time to get a copy of the story in question. Uh, it's called The Kindest. How bad it is. Like the New York Times article sets us, kind of sets us up to believe that Sonia Larson is the talented one, the one who's actually a writer, whereas Don Dorland is a kind of, wannabe you know a a jealous wannabe who wants to take down the real artiste and then you read this story the and it's it is outrageously bad like it is a very bad story it is bad plot wise it is bad prose wise and I'm, i'm not saying this because i'm biased against her personality because there are people who have bad personalities but i can admit that they do good they good prose i i try to be fair and this thing is like some of the tortured metaphors and phrases that it's like this is like i don't know she's she got an mfa or whatever but this seems to be like a bad parody of um bad mfa writing or something yeah it's like a lot of overbaked yeah yeah some of the things that she was saying i I wish i wrote some of them down but some of them were like uh really really bizarre and the interesting thing is i read some of don's writing it was only about two paragraphs but mm-hmm. it was a, it was a very short story and it was so much better prose wise. The story didn't really have a plot because it was a short letter of a yeah. woman, to, woman to her ex, but much better prose. And you can even see it. I read both versions of the story. The first one that had more of Don's original letter and mm-hmm. the second one that tried to fix it. And Don's letter is really the best prose in Sonya right. uh, a story to me. And in a weird way, Sonia uh, knows it because Sonia does that obnoxious um, email that goes, um, let me see, okay, I have so many papers <laughs> in front of me about, oh, no. about this thing. But, 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 but the one that's about how she's scared that's, that Don's going to find the story and when she finds the story, what's going to happen. But she, she tried and tried, but she can't get rid of that. Um, part of it because it's just it's just too good uh right yeah don's, don's letter and she tried to rewrite it to get the same effect but you know she can't and i'm like okay yeah that's what a writer does that's the bare minimum of a writer if you can't just take this woman's letter and then rewrite it in such a way that you can get the same emotional effect and you are not a good, you are not a good writer. That's the most basic bare minimum thing. Someone should be able to expect from a writer to be able to, um, rewrite, rewrite transform it. Oh, oh he, here it is. Cause I'm going to, I want to read exactly from the 
text because okay. I think it makes a difference. So she's talking to Sonia is talking to Whitney uh, Scherer, one of the mean girls in Chunky Monkeys, and she mm-hmm. says, "Hey, sorry, if you have a moment, I, I guess it's a group text, and sorry's on it, but." Uh, sorry mm-hmm. doesn't respond in this exchange. She goes, hey, sorry, if you have a moment, could I talk to you on the phone for like 10 minutes? I said, sorry, and then Siri thought I was talking to her. <laughs> let's, let's back up. Siri, shut up. Okay. Hey, sorry, if you have a moment, could I talk to you on the phone for like 10 minutes? I think I'm done with the kidney story, but I feel nervous about sending it out because it literally has sentences that I verbatim grabbed from Don's letter on Facebook. And it's crazy that a chat full of writers would not tell her, hey, maybe that's plagiarism, but I know. Crazy. Let's go on. How could none of her friends just say, you know what? Like you need to you need to or just just remove the letter entirely. Or I don't know, just come up with something better. Yeah. It's almost like they know she's is untalented and she can't rewrite it. She goes, I've tried to change it, but I can't seem to which is insane admission to me. Like, what do you mean you can't seem to change it? What does that mean? You're basically admitting you don't have the talent to change it. Uh, someone tried to say, oh, it wasn't about talent. One of her defenders tried to say it wasn't about talent. She was meaning that it was just so perfectly cringe. She couldn't bear to change it because it was so perfect. But I'm like, even then, it's still about talent because you should be able as a writer to capture the same level of cringe with your own words. You know exactly, exactly. Yeah, you should be you should be able to to express the whatever the kind of essence that you you got from the letter, which I, I guess Sonia Larson thought of this as the cringiest version of a white savior possible. I don't, you know, when I read the letter, I didn't think that was the case, especially because now knowing that it wasn't the letter that Don Dorland wrote wasn't even to the person who received her kidney; it was to the person at the end of the chain. The, the yes. kidney donation change. Please, please explain what a kidney donation change is. Because there's a lot of context you need to know about kidney donations that is left out of the New York Times article that really right. uh, yeah. helps helps Don. So here's the, I mean, I have learned so much about, about transplants, about, about kidney, you know, health issues uh, through this process. But what, so what happens is that a donation chain is something, you know, usually you have a, a kidney, a, a dialysis patient who desperately needs a transplant, and they they have a wife or a sibling that would be willing to donate a kidney to them. It's just that they're not a match, so they uh, they kind of volunteer for this thing called I think it's like called a chain. But if they if they can find somebody else that would match their their loved one who needs a kidney, then they would be willing to donate the kidney to somebody, like to basically pay pay it forward with their own kidney, if that makes sense. And then but for this chain to even, for, for such a chain to even begin, uh, you need a complete stranger uh, just an altruistic kidney donor to start it off to say, oh, I just I just want to donate a kidney to a stranger, you know, not not because not because uh, a loved one of mine needs one, but just because I want to do this good thing. And that's what Don Dorlin did. She signed up to become an altruistic kidney donor. She matched with uh, an Orthodox Jewish man who needed a kidney. It just so ha- it so happened that his wife, this Orthodox Jewish man's wife was willing to donate a kidney, but she didn't match with her husband. So this wife was willing to donate it to a, another person. And so the Orthodox Jewish man's wife's 
kidney went to this mother in Oregon who didn't have anybody else in her life who said, oh, I'll donate a kidney to you. And so Don Dorland's letter was to this mother in Oregon who had kind of received a second donated kidney, which had been donated because uh, Don Dorland started a chain. It's all a bit confusing to get, but... I don't, it, it, it's kind of a beautiful thing and it just and it it's different because if it had been if it had been a letter to the person who received it it, it could seem a little bit narcissistic you know and, and but, that's what sonia made it out to be in her version of the story exactly um, she made it seem like the person who donated the kidney um writes the re- directly to the recipient saying hey i donated the kidney i saved your life and then um, and now you owe me some kind of recognition. But that it, wasn't it, the case at all that was happening. She totally made up everything. Um, for, not only did she make up everything that happened after the letter, but she made up a whole new context for the letter. And there was a word you that was underlined that. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. Like, the way Sonia wrote it, she acted like she took it kind of personally as if this really happened to her when she did not receive a kidney from Don. And she also did not even understand anything about the actual story or the process. She just wanted to rip on Don. It was, it's very clear. Uh, there's no right. research. It's the same laziness she had with being able to rewrite the letter is the same laziness she has in crafting this whole story. The only thing she puts work in is making Don look like the worst caricature of a Karen possible, but mm-hmm. using totally invented facts, like not even anything Don has actually um, done. And um, something that's really interesting too about that whole thing is that and arthur chu wrote about this and you know i usually i'm not mm-hmm. crazy about arthur chu but he did good work on this there's no denying yeah he's been he's been uh, he's done a lot of thoughtful threads about this oh he's done very good thoughtful threads he, he pointed out something really good was that sonia did not seem to even understand the original letter uh because it seemed like sonia thought the letter was to the um recipient and there's a underlined you right in the, yeah. in the letter and the yeah. underlined you actually um do you want to do you want to explain that because i feel like i've been talking a lot no yeah i mean what so what happens is that in the in the letter that i have i have the letters uh side by side here in front of me and don don, don dorland's letter what she says is i focus the majority of my mental energy on imagining and celebrating you uh you meaning the person at the end of the chain and somebody somebody on reddit made a really good post about this explaining that uh you know sometimes when you're the recipient of a kidney from a stranger you can feel a lot of guilt about it you know you could you feel like you you might owe this strange person a lot and it just you know it it can it can mix up feelings it it can have like a, a kind of negative psychological effect on you and so in Don Dorland's letter, she, she's expressing that like, no, this is, you know, I, I really, I'm so happy that I'm able to do this for you to just donate you a kidney. Um, and I, I focused my, my, the majority of my mental energy on imagining and celebrating you because like you deserve this, but the way that Sonia Larson eventually after trying to change the letter so she wasn't completely plagiarizing it, wrote it, wrote that same sentence like this, um, I withstood the pain by imagining and rejoicing in you, capital letters. You is in capital letters, which is which is kind of really flattens the the message, or, or just like really twists the message. Which in in Sonia Larson's version, it's like, oh, you better know how much I went through to get you this kidney, and you better be grateful for it. You know, which is not which is not how it 
had come come across in Don Dorland's letter. And mind you, of course, if you if you take inspiration from your li- real life, you should change it. You should it should be transformed as you develop characters. But the problem here is that she took so much from the real person of Don Dorland to the point where not only was she completely recognizable to the people around her, but her actual letter had been plagiarized, but at the same time made everything in the most they just twisted everything in the most bad faith way possible, you know? And on top of that, like you said, there was just like no research whatsoever done into like the process of kidney donation of what the person, I, I, like there's a scene in the story where the character wakes up. First of all, the character wakes up by the, with the doctor snapping a finger at her, which is just, just a, I don't know. It seems like a high school production of, you know, uh, how people wake up in the hospital and then people around her are drinking champagne. I've had, I, I I'm I'm living in like this kind of I cannot believe that Sonia Larson has never in her life had surgery because how how can how can somebody actually think that this is how surgery works that this is what recovery looks like you know, I mean, she doesn't have loved ones so I can imagine her never having to visit somebody you know so so maybe that's the problem maybe she never had surgery and she never actually had friends to visit because. I mean, she seems to have friends. The, the problem with the problem is that her friend, you know, it doesn't seem to have friends around her to say like, oh, actually, I, I think this, this might be a bad judgment call for you. Yeah, you I, know, don't, I, I don't think people like that are friends. And, you know, kind of like the girls in Heather's or the girls in Mean Girls are not really yeah. friends. They're just, you know, Mean mm-hmm. Girls will, will ankle bite each other. I, I don't count the Chunky Monkeys as friends. I don't think those people have a genuine bone in their body. They're just all kind of using each other. And, yeah, you know, that, that's... That's that's a reasonable assessment, after, especially after reading all of those those emails. I mean, imagine what they say. You know, they probably the things they say about each other. Oh when, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not trusting so. people at all. Like, I mean, there's so many things about that story. I, I mean, it goes into um, well, actually, we'll get to that later. I want to go back to this original text exchange, right? Um, mm-hmm. That that we were talking about where. I'm flipping through so many things at once. I got to go find this thing again. But it's a lot of stuff. Here, here we go. I found I found it again. I don't know if you ever seen It's Always Sunny in the uh, in It's Always You know, I, Sunny. I've never seen an episode. Okay, but there's a meme from it. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where the guy Charlie Oh, I'm aware of it. has all these papers on the wall and he's mapping it out. That's what my desk in front of me looks like right now. Like my desk is just a whole bunch of papers. Uh, mapping stuff out but to continue to what she's saying she goes um and i'll back up a little bit to retain the context but she goes i think i'm done with the kidney story but i feel nervous about sending it out because it literally has sentences that i verbatim grabbed from don's letter on facebook i've tried to change it but i can't seem to meaning i don't have the talent to rewrite it you know if read between the lines that letter was just Mm -hmm. too damn good um i'm not sure what to do uh maybe try to be a writer. I guess this doesn't cross your mind. Feeling morally compromised, like a good artist, but a shitty person. And it's like, how are you a good artist in any way if you can't fucking rewrite a simple three or four paragraph letter? Like, you are not a good artist. Like, what on earth? And this was really delusional about this. Uh, That guy, Christopher, the one who uh, said that horribly classist thing in an email, like slamming Don, Mm -hmm. was like, yeah, Don's a talentless hack and, you know, she should be working in the post office and you're a real writer. And it's like, no, Don is actually a better writer. And if anything, like a lot of people have been focusing on the success levels as Mm -hmm. as that means something because this 
automatic idea that based on the success, Sonia must be a better writer. But I think if anything, the success levels are actually more of an indictment because if you're that much worse a writer and that much more successful, it just screams to me, you work on everything but your actual craft. And that's why you're successful. Right. You're good at networking. You're good at making friends. You're She's probably good at really doing a good charm offensive on people that she needs to impress and throwing away people she doesn't like. If, if anything, when you see the actual talent levels of the writing, difference in success actually becomes an indictment of the whole system because this woman, this idea that this story got a $25,000 NEA grant, just blows, I know. Grant, oh, just blows my mind. And it was the only thing in her application. You can't say, oh, it was one of three stories. Like someone gave her 25000 This thing cured any amount of imposter syndrome I ever had. I'm going to go for anything. <laughs> I will apply for anything I see now because if this well, you better have Celeste Ng in your corner because you know I guess I guess having having a very famous writer with you know a, a Netflix show or a Hulu show uh, probably probably opens a lot of doors and you don't have to make any effort in, in like learning doing any research into what what your short story is about to get grants. So you need to find yourself your own Celeste Ng. Yeah, I mean if. That must be what it is. I got to work on that right now and then just start applying to whatever I can because I'm telling you, this thing, the prose is bad, but the plot is bad. There's a bunch of stuff like auto accidents don't make you lose both your kidneys. Like that happens with a disease or something. So this woman gets into some kind of, was it drunk driving accident or something and loses mm-hmm. both her kidneys? Like what type of accident does that? That you lose both of them? See, I don't, I don't know enough about... Uh, like that's that's the part where I just don't. I did I did see some posts uh, referring to people that have had car accidents and that may have damaged their kidneys. But I like I that's one part that I don't know. Like if if it's possible to, but 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 also it seemed like at least in the story she she went from having a car accident to immediately getting a donor. You know, it doesn't happen. And, it takes months, years. Yeah, yeah, and there's, you know, she seems quite young in the story. I think it's Shintao, uh, the the main character. I, 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 you know, it it just doesn't seem like she would be a top priority in in the transplant lists. But in the story itself, it's just kind of it's this breeze. Somehow, you know, she picked up a donor the way I guess Sonia Larson picks up Grant. (laughs) Just very easy. Yeah, because the only thing she wants to get to is the Karen bashing she just wants to get because i feel like karen bashing is an easy way to get love these days and anything you do you know like she just wants yeah. to just, she just wants to because a lot of people who are defending the story like this uh this annoying social justice type woman uh rosalind talisman she was defending the story mm. like you don't understand i've met a lot of annoying white women i'm like i'm sure you have that has nothing to do with this. Like, like, what does it matter? Like, like, you know, like, I can't say that call you a rapist or something. And then if someone says, well, actually, she's not a rapist. Well, I've known a lot of messed up rape. Like, it, yeah, it makes no sense. Right. It, it makes no, like, I, I can't call you a pedophile. And then when, we, when you say that, you actually have no proof. It's like, well, I knew someone that looked like him and he was a pedophile. What kind of logic is that? But that's yeah. really what passes for, like, uh, logic to a lot of these uh, so-called writers. And I could say so-called because yeah, I don't not, know not just writers. Ex- but not just logic, but acceptable forms of argument these days. And it's interesting that you mentioned, I think, Rosalind Talisan, because her cousin is a chunky monkey. So yes. that, 
you know, I mean, I, I felt like you were talking earlier about this kind of mafia mentality, and that very much felt, and, and I think that was kind of a tinder to this this fire that became this this conversation around this story. Because you know, in the beginning, you saw people like Robson gave me make really really cruel remarks about Don Dorlin as a person, just uh, speculating that she had Munchausen syndrome yeah, and that she, she had actually up. faked her kidney. Yeah, I mean that is and, and, that is just the most irresponsible thing. And the guy Brandon Tanner yeah. agreeing. I just wanted to say real quick, yeah, so that it's Googleable. If you just Google this articles about Don Dorlin, you know, but that's how lazy these people are. Like they're just like yeah. Sonia's too lazy to do research on um kidney donations and too lazy to uh rewrite a letter which is like the bare basics you know uh as a writer yeah. just too lazy to learn how to write in general you know uh mm-hmm. she's, too, she's too busy making making uh connections and whatever but um, yeah that's the thing mm-hmm. no it just it, 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 it really does it's like the amount of work that she appears to have put in or not put into this to this one short story is really astounding it, it just there isn't any work there isn't a great deal of work evident in it so yeah i guess she spent a lot of the time she's, she's doing it right i mean if that gets you an nea grant then i think the rest of us are doing it wrong yeah, by actually it, focusing on our work and even like someone like roxanne gay and this brandon taylor guy you're already on a computer just hit control t or command t open a second tab it takes 10 seconds to go mm-hmm. you know and i think it's because they don't really care about the truth they just want to slam Don Dorlin. And she's a real piece of work herself. Um, I mean, Roxanne Gay might be the only person that actually might be a worse writer than Sonia Larson. So I, I can see there's that level of... Also, the whole woman of color thing. Like, Sonia Larson is uh, mixed race, uh, Asian and white. And I would not even know she was Asian if you didn't tell me. You know? And if you... Mm-hmm. And she's conventionally attractive. So that opens up, like, a lot of doors for for somebody and so she's a white passing woman if someone tells you she's if someone tells you she's part asian you can look at it and like oh i can see it kind of keanu reeves but if someone told mm-hmm. you she, she was a sister of like you know marie osmond i'd believe that too like she could pass for that too like it's not yeah. so but a big narrative they're trying to do was you know woman of color woman of color like she just walks through this world oppressed and i'm like this woman is not just leaving her house oppressed she's She's fine, and that's so cynical. Um, right, that's the thing. I mean, I do, I do think you know. I, I don't know Sonia Larson's experiences. I don't. I, it may well be that she feels, you know, othered in America. I I can't speak for her, but I did. I did notice that the examples that she was using uh, in the article, in the New York Times article itself, to defend this kind of oppressed status that she was trying to she was trying to pass forth, really strained belief. I mean, there was a point where she talked about uh, the fact that you know she went to the University of Wisconsin Madison, and one of the one of this this very revelatory thing for her was to see white people asleep on campus lawns or in the library and being amazed at how they felt safe doing that first like that i i i am calling bullshit on that there's no way that like 19 year old sonia larson in i don't know 2003 2004 or whenever was going around campus being like oh my god look at look at uh brad the white dude from my econ class he's asleep in the library the privilege i could never fall asleep like, come on you're in a college campus this is nonsense i will take it one step further right 
with that stupid story. I have uh, some friends who are Asian from the podcast Escape from Plan A, mm-hmm. who I was talking to about this story. Uh, we read the story around the same time. So mm-hmm. keep in mind, um, both these guys are Asian and they have been been uh, to to school, to college and, and graduate level mm-hmm. school and everything. And they were saying that um, this woman is half white, half Asian. She was like, and they were like, it's almost a stereotype of Asians living and sleeping in the library, like uh, guys and girls, like, you know, taking naps in a library. It, it's almost like a, a joke stereotype. So the idea that you as a half Asian, half white woman who can pass for white, first off, acts like this is something that's foreign to your Asian experience, only that white people can do it. That's number one. Number two, you look white, so nobody would even know that, uh, you know, no one would be like, even if this was magically true that, you that you know, Asians can't sleep in libraries, you know, which, which, which they were laughing at. It's like, you know. Yeah, and in the was, college campus. Yeah. Not just any library. And, and all races slept in the library. I've seen black people sleep in the library. I've seen yeah. people. So everyone's done it, but uh, one of the biggest stereotypes, uh, whether it's fair or true or not, is that Asian people sleep in the library uh, the most. Like, it just seems this weird thing that only white people can sleep in libraries, number one. Number two, that you can't pass for white yourself uh, and do the same thing, that you just look so Asian that, you know, people uh, will just, like, you know, call you names or whatever. You try to sleep in a library, you know. Uh, and then number, yeah. number, three, number three, that it's not a part of your other culture. Uh, anyway, like like you don't see any Asian people. And then number four, the last thing is that there's such a thing as one or two races only sleeping in the library and feeling safe. When again, everybody I know has slept in the library. I mean, she's a ridiculous. Right. A, it's, it's like it's like she's trying to retrofit all the experiences that she's had so that it fits some kind of oppressed framework and she's failing at it. You know, and, we can we can read this and she hasn't even really suffered oppression. Well, that's that's the, that's the kind of conclusion that at least I came to in the article. You know, it's like, is this this is the this is the most uh, like oppressive thing you've experienced as as a person of color? That I don't know, you saw you saw white people sleeping in the library as a college student in a college campus and thought I could never do that. It's, the, sc- it, it, the scary thing is, if that's a lie, which I very much think it is, because it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. With a lie, you can come up with anything. That's the best you can come up with. Like, uh, that's the worst part. It's not even is that it's so small and it's not even true. Like if it was if she was being limited by the truth and that's the best you can come up with. I can understand. But it's clearly a lie. So just lie big. You, you've already shown that you can. But I think it shows the limits of her imagination. She just can't. You know, she has no imagination. That same lack of imagination that keeps her from being able to rewrite a simple four paragraph letter without keeping all of right. it. And, and she can't even come up with a good experience of, of oppression. I'm not saying that her mixed raceness did not cause her any issues. I'm sure it probably did, but I got a feeling it's more mundane type of internal uh, self-loathing <laughs> type of things more than any actual like uh, egregious. Yeah, I mean, which is valid in itself, right? I mean, I do, I do think, and yeah, it, it can, it can uh, cause psychological confusion sometimes. And so it's not like those things, it's not that those things are invalid. I totally find them valid. I just, I'm just like you a little bit awe, like awestruck by the fact that the examples that she, she can come up with to explain her, her experiences are either nonsensical or 
or extremely trivial to the point where it's well, it is nonsensical. Yeah, and and, and um, see, I think those are valid problems, but if you're trying to make yourself sound really oppressed to the point that it you know justifies you being protected from people, it's not good enough to say, hey, you know, I've always felt like I was not Asian enough for the um, Asian kids and not white enough for the. That's not a struggle. That's enough for people to be like, hey. She's immune from, you know, any type of right. system. So I think her problems are valid, but she, I felt like she felt like she needed something bigger, you know, to make her seem like a real lifelong um, victim of oppression. And it just amazes me that it's best lie she can come up with. It just betrays even more to me that she just really has had a charmed um, ex- existence. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's how that it way. comes across. Yeah. yeah, no, it absolutely. And especially when, you, you know, in the article itself, it kind of talks about the... It doesn't really go into it, but, you know, it, the implication is that Sonia Larson grew up in a stable household, you know, potentially a two-parent household in, in a kind of stable middle-class upbringing, whereas Don Dorland, at least according to the New York Times article, had a really precarious early existence. And, you know, I, I think that fucks up, like, a child's brain a lot more than, well, at least anything that Sonia Larson has shared with us about her, her struggles. Yeah, I... I agree. And um, I'm looking at different things and it's so hard to touch on all these points in a uh, coherent narrative. But I mean, I think we're doing good so far. Um, it's crazy, though, isn't it? Like a lot like this story. This story just, there's so many things about it that kind of gets under people's skin. You know, there's so many tangents of why at first it seems like such a trivial thing about like two people fighting. But then it, it speaks to such like larger things about the moment that we're living through right now and, and, and you know what it reminds me of too it reminds me of a tree that is kind of so it reminds me of a road that's kind of shaped like a tree like like hmm. picture a road you're looking at from above and it's shaped okay. like a tree and that it keeps splitting like branches i feel like you can throttle mm-hmm. this thing down and just take a detour and find a whole new uh tangent or digression of just obnoxious behavior that indicates a lot of the problems with pu- with publishing with all these things yeah and, you know you can you can go down so many roads and just touch on so many systemic issues right. with publishing and how we do a lot of things it's uh and it's also it's things that people don't like we never talk about like because they're so there is this culture of kind of just like keeping these these uh, this culture a secret you know from the outside world and it's like you said i mean don dorland turned out to a lot of people's angers to be to function as a kind of snitch like she exposed this incestuous the glad handing awful publishing community to the sunlight and and people are seeing it for what it is and writers are pissed about it especially writers who have managed to succeed in this environment like um there's a couple of things that want to touch on because there's so many things and one is what people don't understand, one thing that was kind of, um, I don't know if it's because people were lying on Twitter or if it was something that was misrepresented in the article, there is this idea that Don is this litigious person. And first off, even if Don did a lawsuit first, uh, so what? She was plagiarized. She has a right to do that. It's ridiculous, the idea that she doesn't. But the funny thing is, Sonia actually did the lawsuit first for, I believe, uh, defamation, Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And the, but the thing that's even more bizarre, like impressive, that doesn't come across at all in the article was that Sonia actually filed for copyright of the kindest, which has a plagiarized version of her letter first. 
Yeah, yeah so before Dorland did. So there's there's that. So she filed for the copyright first, but they made it seem like uh, Dorland filed for copyright first, and then also Dorland has more of a right to file for copyright anyway. So who cares if she was the one who filed it first, uh, which she wasn't? But also, yeah, uh, um, Sonia actually initiated uh, the lawsuit, and that's what's the funniest thing about this is. Sonia shot herself in the foot because all these horrible texts. And I, I was thinking about what does Celeste Ang feel? Because basically, this is such vindication for people like me who have not been crazy about Celeste Ang and everything. Uh, that you know, you can say she's really as as awful as as I've always said. But um, I had I had no opinion of her before, but then now I have a very strong opinion about oh, her. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I know people have had run-ins with her, and I've had my own my own run-ins with her, but. Um, huh. She she um basically came out looking horrible in this. She uh was saying stuff like "fuck Don Don and her Don and her one kidney can go fuck themselves." Uh, Celeste created the uh, nickname DFD for Don Fuck right. which is such a juvenile type of type of nickname, and it, all these troubles going on that are hurting all these people's um reputations have taken so many of them down thanks to discovery was caused by Sonia's own stupid uh initiating of a um lawsuit because she was mad she was getting defamed for plagiarism for a short story that she admitted to her friends she knew was plagiarism like that's the that's right. she's just not a bright person that's the crazy other crazy thing about it but I think it's the type of lack of brightness that is specific to like narcissistic people. I've known like narcissistic people and they can be very in socially intelligent in very limited capacities as far as um, ingratiating themselves to people, um, getting things out of people, finding out people's thumb screws, you know, to mm-hmm. you know, taunt them. But they're also kind of emotionally like, uh, they're kind of emotionally retarded. And I don't mean retarded in the um, Down syndrome way. I mean, in the literal definition term of behind the rest of like something stunted uh-huh. retarded their emotional common sense and i see that a lot in sonia larson that's a very narcissistic type of emotional stunting where uh you can tell she chooses friends based on if they affirm and validate her so she's just created this circle of flying monkeys like in wizard of oz that hey guys should i write, write this letter oh no you shouldn't uh, hey, this is a plagiarism, you know, where I just took all these uh, sentences, right? Oh, no, that's not plagiarism. Reader, like, yeah. These are writers. They know better, but she has some kind of weird spell on them that I cannot understand. And there was that one writer that seemed to kind of even admit that she fell under a kind of a spell. Like, the only one that kind of gave a sincere apology. What's right, again? right. Uh, Becky Took. I, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. It's T-U-C-H. And she's, I mean, she's she's done... I think a phenomenal job of just kind of owning up to her participation in this. And I, you know, I can, I can sympathize with that because I think when you're in a group of people and your friend is, is giving you her version of what's happening to her, you, you know, you take your friend's side and you, I, I, without going into the specifics of this case, like usually if a, you know, a friend of mine is having a terrible time in it, a marriage or something like I'm going to take, I'm going to take that person's side and I'm going to be like, fuck, fuck your husband and his one kid. I don't know. I'm, I'm just making that no, up. But. I, I agree. But especially but then, that friend seems kind of charismatic too because like she, she must be some kind of charismatic to get all these people uh, under the spell. Well, she's certainly telling a very one-sided version of the 
the thing that she's currently embroiled in. I mean, now I, I, I very much doubt that her friends had actually seen any of the court materials. And like you said, what I wonder what Celeste is actually thinking now, because she's the one who has the most to lose in this whole, like she's the only one with the name recognition before this article came out. And she comes off terribly in the text messages. And those text messages, like I said, were released because of this defamation suit that is absolutely unwinnable. Even oh, even, yeah. if she, even if Tommy Larson had not admitted that she plagiarized, took verbatim uh, sentences out of uh, Don Berlin's letter, she would not have won a defamation suit. And I cannot believe a lawyer didn't sit her down, or maybe a lawyer did, and she just went with a different one. But it is it is outrageous to me that somebody would take on this case knowing how frivolous it is. She doesn't have a case. Um. And also in the meantime, I found the article. It wasn't Gawker. It was Jezebel. I linked it to you in the um, oh, okay. chat function. Yes, yeah, so if you look at the, the chat function. Um, but yeah, if, if you, if you look at it, it's, um, it's kind of this thing where it's like, hey, guys. It's, first of all, the writer's making it about herself. And she's like, hey, guys, I met Don Dornan. Uh, trust me, she's bad. Oh. I can't explain why. But and the, here's a big aside. Oh wow, I completely missed this. Well, I no, not to, to be fair. People send me stuff. I I I don't know. If, I don't know if it's 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 on me. It's more for some reason. Yeah, I didn't I didn't actually see this one. I I am discovering new things right now. Yeah, I see. This is awesome. So you know what? I dropped the ball. I should have sent you uh, a tip. Uh, but, <laughs> but but yeah, uh, I'll read it. I'll read it. Actually, no, I don't want to read this thing. Oh, but it, well. There's two paragraphs that are just kind of self-indulgent and really don't make any, don't really, aren't really necessary. The first two paragraphs are like writers are narcissistic and we love reading about ourselves, gossip about our mm-hmm. love language and that, and it's really unnecessary. And then, you know, it jumps to the part, and this is what matters. Long before Don Dorlin, the kidney donor, came into my life, I counted among my close friends several women with whom I had been in direct competition for jobs, for attention, for mentorship. For men, I remember the moments my affection for these women was forged when we were both treated like garbage by the same love interest, the same professor, the same institution, the same editor. I instinctively bonded with these people, and it is a curiously persistent pattern. Now, that first paragraph to me kind of makes it seem like she's saying she's had a life where she's felt in competition with um, women. I think she's kind of saying that she has women that kind of make her feel inferior a lot, and that. Um, a lot of times she can only bond with women when they're at a low point where they're, you know, being treated garbage, like garbage by, mm-hmm. you know, the same love interest or professor. And she goes, I instinctively bonded with these people who were sharing rejection like me. And I think it's a very interesting admission. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering why she made it. And I'm sure you can kind of tell where I'm going with this. I'll let you jump in. No, no, no. Go, go on. Okay. So then the next paragraph is very interesting. She goes, Dorlin inspired a different reaction. So again, different reaction than who? Different reaction than the women that um, she normally bonds with. And what kind of women does she normally bond with? Women who are sharing rejection with her or at low point and feeling like, you know, uh, not good enough for for a man, not good enough to impress people, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's her pattern, right? Um, And Don inspires a different reaction. She goes, and I have never known why. No, you know why. Here was someone who was driven and passionate about many of the same things as me, writing, social justice, reproductive rights, but whose approach to those subjects made me feel insecure in ways I still find hard to pinpoint. 
I'm gonna take a lack of self awareness. Yes, yes, it's a lack of self awareness, but also you're curiously untroubled by this lack of self awareness. And I'm like, why are you writing this article if you haven't any disinformation? Like, what are you telling us? You're like, hey guys, here's something that happened. Mind you, I don't understand any of it, and I can't share any insight into myself. You know, uh, so you're gonna be as clueless as I am. But and at first off, I don't really think that she doesn't know why. I think she's just saying that. You know, she wants to bash Don, but not indict herself. But she did indict herself, right? Yeah, right. It's like she's saying that all of my relationships with women are toxic. But here come here came this other woman who wouldn't wasn't willing to have a toxic relationship with me, and that I resented her for that. Yeah, or, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And the toxic relationship I had with these other women was I couldn't relate to them unless they felt made they made me feel less alone in my loserness. Like, you know, I bonded with women over being a loser uh, or feeling right. like a loser. I don't want to say she actually was a loser. You know, I want to say right. her self-perception was, uh, and, she, and, she, and these are her words, curiously persistent pattern, right? Uh, of mm-hmm. rejection, of feeling rejected, right? Now, um, she goes, we were friendly at first, but the chemistry went sour. I shrank back, but there was so much I wanted to say. This doesn't mean anything. This is all vague stuff, right? This yeah. doesn't tell me anything. You shrank back. Why did you shrink back? Right. And like, when did they, how old were they when they met? So like, where did they meet? How did the chemistry go sour? Not important. Uh, apparently it's not important. I mean, I think it's important. You think it's important, but apparently right. we're wrong. But uh, apparently the point is that Don Dorland sucks and yeah, she doesn't yeah. know why. We're not being told why, but trust us. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one go to again patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two be good